You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. We have a data set that's probably unmatched in the industry, and so we look through it constantly trying to find new samples, doing strange and interesting things. And while doing that one day, uh, we stumbled across Poet Rat. That's Craig Williams. He's the head of Talos Outreach at Cisco. The research we're discussing today is titled Poet Rat, Malware Targeting Public and Private Sector in Azerbaijan Evolves. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. So the reason it stood out to us initially was that it doesn't really share that many similarities with known samples. We believe it's a new APT group one that we haven't seen before, or perhaps a new actor, right? I don't, depends on how you want to find APT, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but we believe this actor, we hadn't seen them before, that they came into the space, that they had, you know, the initial version of Poet Rat that we talked about in April, and then have kind of evolved it since then, along the lines of what you'd see with other nation states, right? Moving towards more evasive protocols, a little bit more careful OPSEC, and just doing what you would expect as someone with, you know, an initial swing into the APT world and then over the next period of months would do. 
So honing their craft, if you will. Unfortunately so, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's go back to the original version. What was going on under the hood there that, that caught your eye? So the reason this one stood out was the complete lack of operational security. <laughs> okay. Um, so that can tell you a couple things about the actor, right? Uh, the most obvious of which is often the actor is not concerned about being caught. Now, mm. that can mean a couple of different things, right? Uh, for crimeware, it can tell you, well, perhaps they're from a region where they're not worried about it, right? Maybe in certain countries, cybercrime is not something that's heavily punished or even something that's against the law. Right, when it comes right. To, Right, and when it comes to more espionage malware, well, when you see malware going after government targets or people associated with government targets and they are not practicing operational security, generally gives you an idea that they're probably from, you know, um, a less mature organization, that they don't really care if you detect it, uh, and that they're probably being a little bit more, let's call it uh, liberal with the malware than you would see with other more mature APT groups. Huh. Is this an indicator that that this could be, for example, the folks who are in power? Like, you know, what are you going to do if you find out that it's me? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it certainly could be. Um, and I, I think that's probably the other more interesting thing about this, right? When we look at common geopolitical interactions these days, and when we see tensions rise in a region we are seeing more and more often a rise in cyber activity against those countries involved, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's something that needs to be expected now, that it's something that we will continue to see. And I would say it's something that if we're not seeing it, then someone found something clever because it's there. Um, and so I think this is really an extension of geopolitical tension right now, right? If two countries are threatening each other or there's tensions in a region, you can expect all countries with interest in those regions to trying, you know, to be trying to gain intelligence on one another and try and collect different types of intelligence, you know, just for standard purposes. And this is what we're seeing here. So I think it's something that's really interesting. And I think it's something that we're going to see as part of the political and geopolitical processes now. Well, let's dig into some of the specifics here together. Uh, in this round of Poet Rat, what's going on? Well, so this time they changed a little bit of it up, right? In the first one, one of the reasons it stood out was that they were doing a lot of the phoning home, well, all of the phoning home over FTP, which, you know, it works. It's a little, <laughs> it's, it's like a classic car, right? You can count on it. Not a lot of computer involved. Uh, and so FTP, right. while it is one of the more stable, easy to use protocols, it does kind of stand out a little bit now. You know, I, I don't know the last time you FTP to file in a network. I don't either. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been years. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that was on their list of things to change, right? Um, the other problem with FTP is that not only does it stand out, but all the data is passed in the clear. And if there's anything in that data that you don't want someone in between to see, or maybe there's you know, something in there that could be detected, it's, it's a little bit more risky. And so in this mm -hmm. version, they moved over to HTTP, which is a, a nice evolution. So they are growing. They are taking steps. You know, it, it's using similar victimology. If you look at the blog post we have, we found them targeting diplomatic passports for people in that region, which is, mm -hmm. you know, I, when we wrote the, uh, the intro to the blog, 
I was discussing with Paul and Warren, you know, at some point, where does, you know, cyber espionage end and just regular espionage over the internet begin? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? You know, people overload the term cyber espionage to be any espionage over the internet. But really, to me, cyber espionage is becoming more and more of a term to say intellectual property theft, right? One Hmm. country to another or one commercial entity to another. And what we're seeing here with the theft of, you know, diplomatic credentials and things along those lines, it's really more of just the pure espionage angle. Yeah, shifting, uh, I suppose, with the shift of where these things are handled, that more and more of these documents as a regular course of business are being handled electronically and online, um, that's just where this stuff is. Right. And if you look at the way that they're crafting the Word documents that they use as the vector for this, they're you know impersonating um, official government documentations for the local government Right. And, and we see that a lot. You know, we saw that with campaigns, uh, you know, in North Korea, a couple in Russia. So it's a common technique, but it is a way that they can target a specific country, because if they want intelligence on officials in those regions, they're going to use the right letterhead. They're going to use the right context. And so that can give you a much more involved picture of who they're targeting, which and then can you know give you some insight into why they're targeting those people. And in this particular case, of course, once we found the intel that was you know, attempting to be collected, it was very obvious. And, and to be clear here, who are they targeting? Well, it's, it's I think we call it VIP folks, right? Folks with diplomatic passports. Yeah. And this is in Azerbaijan. Yes, thank you for saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I was wondering why you were putting it off there, Craig. But I, you know, I, I can have stumble, your back, my friend. I, I can stumble through it for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you would not be alone in that. Um, you know, there's a couple things that caught my eye here when I was reading through your research that uh, maybe you could clarify for me. You point out that looking at some of the code here, there's a macro that they're using in a Word document, and it contains literature references. (laughs) Uh, In this case, uh, text from the novel The Brothers Karamazov. Is this just style points, or is there some sort of obfuscation tactic here? Um, A little bit of both. You know, I think it's more style points. Okay. So... You know, it will allow them to change the file checksums for very, very simplistic malware detection by including or modifying quotes. But I think it's more of a calling card, right? And we see, see. this relatively commonly. Um, I don't know. If you read the section below that, it gets even funnier. <laughs> yeah, go on. Uh, well, so while we're doing our investigation, we found the script basically trying to pull down additional payloads and, you know, basically enhance the malware with plug-in type activity, right? You know, a lot of times when you have malware, it'll be a loader for different stages down the path. Well, instead of the next stage, we got a file named after an expletive filled with thousands and thousands of lines of additional expletives. (laughs) So I think they were on to us at that point. I see. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Now, there were some other changes that they made here uh, along the way. What are some of the adjustments that uh, you all are tracking? 
Well, so the major one was the shift towards a little bit more covert of a phone home system, right? Uh, they moved from Python to uh, Lua, which is a little bit more rare. Um, and they also, you know, they shifted the TTPs. You know, it's, like I said at the beginning, it's basic advances and techniques that will make them slightly harder to detect. Now, there is still the very real fact that they're using a Microsoft Word document with a macro embedded in it, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is still remarkably successful, right? I mean, this has been around for decades. It's something everyone should know and everyone should have you know, mitigation strategies in place for it. But unfortunately, what we can see here is at least this actor believes that his potential targets do not have those strategies in place. And they're taking advantage of, I suppose, social engineering techniques, you know, using some of the political unrest that's going on in Azerbaijan as the hook to the people they're targeting. Absolutely. And if you look at the pictures of the Word document that we included, they even have the official seals in the corners of it. Um, And and again, this is something that we've seen other actors do, right? Uh, So we've looked at some that were impersonating South Korean government officials, And they even went a step further than this, and they would take the localized information classification headers and embed those into the document. So actors are really good at this, right? These type of techniques are very publicly known. Now, there are a lot of next-level stuff that you can do, right? And creativity is the limit. And so, you know, we're seeing a little bit of that, but not a lot. So I think, again, this is one of those situations where it's very likely that these attackers will continue to evolve and will continue to improve their tradecraft as they need to. But it's very possible that right now they're not meeting enough resistance to need to improve that tradecraft. So, you know, if your current techniques work, there's not going to be a need to evolve. Is this a case where you and your team are are kind of witnessing uh, a nation or a threat actor you know, spin up their capabilities in real time, or you're you're sort of watching them grow up. I think that's very possible. How often does something like that happen? I mean, is this a? I, I guess a, a, what I'm getting at is, is this sort of thing taking a, a, a natural spread around the world? As as you mentioned earlier, this sort of thing becomes more routine as more of the information is online. Is this just part of every nation's toolkit? So let me answer that question in parts. So I think right now, cyber capabilities are part of most established nations' toolkit. Right. I I think where you see things like this, where you can like literally watch an actor figure out what works better and what doesn't, are either due to one of two things, right? One, like you said, it could be a country exploring new capabilities for the first time. Or two, it could be um, a new operator hired by a government who... (laughs) I don't want to say they fudged the resume a little bit, but perhaps. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, my my cousin Bob is good with computers. Uh, right. <laughs> let's hire him. <laughs> now, you know, in this actor's defense, I hate that I have to defend him. <laughs> right. But yeah. he, the reality is it doesn't need to be complex, right? These techniques, even though most of them are well-known and have been seen before, are working, right? And mm-hmm. so that's the thing, right? You're only going to see malware as advanced as it needs to be. And this is kind of why it's hilarious when so many people are worried about zero day and you see people tweeting about it and concerned about it. And meanwhile, they're, you know, six months behind on patching. (laughs) So, you know, you've got to realize that this is the type of thing, word macros, that are probably the largest threat 
to most organizations. Simplistic, well-known functional attacks that, you know, yeah, they target the system a little bit, but mostly they target the people, right? And I, I would guess that probably right behind this is an email saying, hey, click on this. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what are your recommendations here in terms of, uh, you know, best practices to defend against this sort of thing? Uh, as old school as it is, can you take us through some of your recommendations? Absolutely. So the right way to defend against word macros are number one, keep your software up to date. You know, modern versions of Office don't allow this by default. You know, that's step one. Step two right. is to have a layered defense. You know, there are multiple opportunities to detect something like this, right? The first one is at the network perimeter. You know, your network security devices should be looking for things like Word documents with macros embedded in them from outside sites, and they should probably convict them, and they should especially convict them if they match a known malware sample. You know, next is obviously, let's say it gets to your endpoint. You know, somebody checks email at home, maybe it comes through the network because you don't have you know, network security devices. So you've got to have something on that endpoint besides the person to help them make smart decisions. And that's where you can get into, you know, uh, malware protection products, antivirus, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And even after that, there are a couple of things you can do, right? And so after that, I would say DNS security is an easy one, right? Have all of your office's computers look up to um, a DNS server that provides security so that if the malware author is trying to have you connect to a command and control server that doesn't have a known good reputation, there's a good chance you won't allow that lookup to continue and will block it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all of those things can give you slightly more chances and overlapping chances to block this type of activity. Yeah, and of course, uh, your blog post here on PoetRat includes uh, some indicators of compromise, so folks can uh, look up those and and uh, see where we stand there. But I, I, are you expecting further evolution here? I think there's a good chance, you know, as long as there's going to be increased tension in that region, and as long as those countries seem to be investing in cyber capabilities, we're going to continue to see it. So I expect, you know, in another couple of months, we're probably going to see some more evolution. And we may even see more, you know, groups, more samples pop up. So we'll have to keep our eyes on it. Our thanks to Craig Williams from Cisco Talos for joining us. The research is titled Poet Rat, Malware Targeting Public and Private Sector in Azerbaijan Evolves. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com.
The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 